Hello and welcome to the Unreported World podcast with me, Krishnan Gurumurthy. This week, we have the inside story of the Baghdad bomb squad. Nine years after the invasion, the Americans and British have finally gone, but they've left Iraq still facing almost daily attacks from those trying to foment political chaos and sectarian hatred. There is a small band of brothers trying to stop them, with modest resources and great courage in the face of terrible danger. For one week, they gave us unprecedented and exclusive access to their lives. Here's their story. On a Baghdad street, a bomb disposal team are trying to defuse an explosive device. They don't realise that the bombers are watching them and have planted another device three metres away. Many in the squad have lost their lives. And that day, the injured officer, Lieutenant Jassim Mohammed Salah, was convinced he was going to die. Our work is a sacrifice. Dealing with bombs means going to meet death. Death usually comes to people, but we go to death. The Baghdad Bomb Squad are based here. They're actually a police team on ordinary police salaries. They work 36-hour shifts, eating here, sleeping here, putting their lives on the line for their fellow Iraqis when they get the call. Many of the bomb disposal experts here signed up during the Saddam years, but have since trained with the British and Americans. There are four 12-man teams on standby around the clock, but it's the morning when the bombers are at their busiest. Our guide for the day was Rawad Yassin, who at 29 years old has already spent six years in the bomb squad, a job he chose largely because his brother had before him. My family are always worried. They ask me to be careful every time I leave the house. They've asked me to quit this job, but I want to stay. I first joined because I needed the money, but because of the bombs, I now feel a responsibility to the unit. First call of the day. Top priorities are weapons and body armor. These officers have been shot at before, at the scenes of bombs. We headed with Rawad's team in convoy to the suburb of Karada, a rich area lived in by both Shia and Sunni Muslims. They thought they were heading to an unexploded device, but on arrival, it was clear they were too late. Where is it? Oh, it's gone. It's not a suspect package at all, it's an exploded bomb. So that's just... It's not allowed. Please put the camera down. He must leave the area. Although the bomb squad agreed to be filmed, Iraq's federal police routinely obstruct the media reporting bad news. Under threat of arrest, we stopped. But Rawad and his team had agreed to wear small cameras to film their work up close. 
in places too dangerous or difficult for us to go. Do not go close to the car. With the public warned to stay back, the bomb squad moved in to gather forensic evidence. They were looking for the kind of explosive used, the force of the blast, and how it was detonated, the vehicles involved, and where they were positioned. Anything they could find to help trace who was behind the bomb. After a while, Rawad came to get me, insisting we should see the devastation for ourselves, whatever the federal police trying to stop us said. So where was the device? Here? So the device was right here? The car with the bomb was stopped at the side of the road. The target was a Ministry of Communications convoy. It was detonated by remote control. This is the ministry car. Other civilian cars were also damaged. One person was killed and 15 injured. What is the purpose of these bombs? What are they trying to do? They are terrorists who want to destroy the political process. They don't want the Iraqi people to live in peace. It was clear this had been a very sophisticated attack. The target was a senior military commander in charge of the Ministry of Communications Protection Force. Later, we found out that although he escaped unhurt, nine others, including several of his staff in a minibus, were killed and more than a dozen were injured. The people near the scene were in distress, angry about who would help them. His son is injured. It was quickly turning into a dark day in Baghdad. They've heard about another incident and they've got to get there as quickly as possible. Move fast. As we headed off, reports were coming in of bombings around Baghdad. Another team had found an unexploded device right outside Iraq's oil ministry. It was a sticky bomb about the size of a brick and fixed by magnet under the car of a brigadier general. Using their American robots, the Iraqis have an ingenious way of dealing with these devices. They make a water bomb with a small charge in a plastic bottle. It blows the sticky bomb off the car while the water stops it detonating. It meant they could even retrieve intact the mobile phone that would have detonated the device. As we drove back into the base, the mood was grave. Despite one successfully diffused device, today the bombers were winning. Well, it's been a really busy morning here so far. There have been four explosions in different suburbs of Baghdad. And in two of the incidents, officials were directly targeted. And the brigadier here says that has all the hallmarks of a coordinated Al-Qaeda strike. The risks of the job are hard to deal with. Many of the men have been hurt. And Rawad told me the dangers are never far from their minds. A friend of mine had his right hand and leg blown off in the last incident. He was really close to the bomb. It was heartbreaking. 
We were all heartbroken and we even cried. Did what happened to Mohammed ever make you think again about your job here? Yes, it did. For a short time, we felt the same might happen to us, but then things went back to normal. By now it was clear there had been attacks across Iraq. More than 55 people had been killed in one day. The vast majority were in Shia areas with Shia victims. Baghdad is a very divided city in terms of where the Shia and Sunni communities live. This whole side of Baghdad is Shia. Sada city up here, New Baghdad up here. And, and the, the bomb squad itself is situated right in the heart of it, up here. And they draw most of their officers from these communities. And in fact, if you look at the makeup of the staff here, they are 99.5% Shia. In two years, more than 30 bomb disposal experts have been killed across Iraq. Lieutenant Colonel Riyadh showed me the walls lined with pictures of those he'd lost. This is Adam, Mortada, Jassim, Late, Ali Dwer, may God bless him. Lutfi was one of our heroic bomb disposal experts, may God bless him. Here is Hassan, a cameraman in Ra'ed. They died in the same incident. Officer Mohammed was assassinated. Half the men on this one wall had been killed in one explosion. All of these have the same date, 11 men killed in one single disaster. And you can see very starkly over on this wall the sorts of devices, the improvised explosives that they are up against that have been taking their lives. One of those killed trying to defuse a vehicle bomb was Ali Hamid. His partner, Ali Latif, survived with terrible leg injuries. Having had death threats before, he asked us to protect his identity as he showed us the footage of what happened. It was a car bomb. We sent in a robot to check out the vehicle, but we didn't find anything. We decided to deal with it manually, and this was the mistake. When we entered the car, we were surprised to see the explosives. They were obvious, and then we heard the phone ring. After the phone rang, he was blown to pieces. How do you deal with the fact that you survived but your colleague was killed? It is very difficult. Since the incident, I've been living with severe psychological stress. I'm taking antidepressants. I'm living on Valium. These days, Ali Latif is unable, physically and mentally, to go to crime scenes. But he's turned his hand to forensics, becoming a fingerprint expert. This mobile and the electrical circuits were fixed to the bomb. It is the remote control for the sticky bomb. This is the mobile phone that was on the sticky bomb that they diffused, and Ali Latif is trying to get as much forensic evidence off it as he possibly can. What is it you're seeing? 
Partial fingerprints. Even a small part is enough for us. Is this a very complicated device? Not everyone can make this, only an electrical engineer. There are just a few designers. Since 2004, we've been dealing with the same work. There are just one or two of them, no more. The forensics team believe Al-Qaeda in Iraq, who are Sunni extremists, are behind most of the bombings. There's no doubt the violence is deepening the sectarian divide between Sunni and Shia Muslims. Most targets are Shia, and Shia leaders, including the Prime Minister, accuse Sunni politicians of complicity. In turn, Sunni leaders claim Shias are blaming their community so that Iraq can be dominated by the Shia majority. Off shift, Rawad spent a cherished afternoon with his daughter. At six years old, Maryam has never known Baghdad without bombs, but she's kept shielded as much as possible. Do you miss him when he's at work? Yes, I miss him a lot. It was Maryam's future that motivated Rawad to serve with the bomb squad. I'm working to secure a better future for my family before I die. I want her to live a life without bombs and violence. come back after yesterday's terrible events to the base and people are pretty exhausted and they've had some terrible news which was that in Deala province which is not too far away some of their colleagues from a bomb squad there have been attacked by terrorists who broke into their homes and shot them dead what goes through your mind when you hear that bell to say there's been a bomb uh, it's very worrying. It might be a bomb, a car, or a suspicious device. All the way there, we are worrying about our lives and how to deal with a bomb. It's just before 8 o'clock and there's been an incident. We don't know if it's exploded yet, but the bomb squad are racing to the sea. A bomb had gone off in the heart of a poor Shia suburb, metres away from an office of the Mahdi army, a powerful Shia militia who effectively controlled the area. On a busy street, there was no security cordon. Local people were just milling about the wreckage. Maybe the bomb was detonated by mobile phone. Go back, go back. I swear there are toxic materials that can harm you. Car bombs like this are usually aimed at officials or police. This time, the bomb squad were not sure who the target was. Wow. This car has been totally destroyed. This was a car? Yes. This building was damaged by the explosion. Gathering forensic evidence was a desperate race against time. The city workers are under orders to clear wreckage as quickly as possible, to keep Baghdad moving 
and prevent people feeling the bombers are succeeding. From the evidence, we can determine the car is a Hyundai. They want us to withdraw. Then it happened again. With the disapproving eyes of the Shia militia on them and us, the federal police told us to stop filming and leave. So they found out that the explosion happened very early in the morning, just after 7 o'clock. Most people were asleep in their homes, so there were very few injuries, but it was a very big explosion and has caused a lot of damage. A visitor arrived at the base. Mohammed Jabbar was the friend Rawad had told us about, who was blown up last year, trying to warn people away from a roadside bomb. It was chaos. I remember seeing Saad hitting his head in despair. It was a very big bomb. Only Muhammad was hurt. His arm was under another car and his leg lay behind him. It was terrible. There was blood everywhere. We could see Muhammad's bones. We freak out when our friends get injured. We are sure they are going to die. Is he not a reminder of the great dangers here? Yes, he reminds us of the danger, but for his sake we should keep doing this work. I feel comfortable here with my colleagues. I'm sad because I'm leaving them. I spent more time with them than with my family. Muhammad didn't stay long. His visit clearly affected Rawad and the others. Such an obvious reminder of the dangers, difficult to confront. But we wanted to know more and decided to visit him at home. He lived in one of the poorest parts of Baghdad, a dangerous, crime-ridden shantytown. He seemed very different from the proud man we'd met at the base, on a painful, ill-fitting prosthetic leg, unable to support a wife, three children and a mother on a $200 a month police pension. They have given me a plastic leg, but it's very heavy and I struggle with it. I'm in prison in this house. Mohammed, it must be very difficult for you to see your son like this. I feel terrible. I just ask God for help. I'm an old woman with three grandchildren to support. We have many needs. All he needs are proper prosthetic limbs so he can feed us. How do you feel now about working for the bomb squad? لأنه إحنا عملنا إنساني نحمي المواطنين 
يعني من العبوات الناسفه او السيارات المفخخه فانضربت اني نهائيا يعني ما وقفوا لي ما وقفوا لي نهائيا I really regret joining the unit My job was to protect people from bombs but when I was injured they didn't help me at all Don't I deserve help? I have huge responsibility with the children Things can only get worse Mohammed's commanding officers say they are still hoping to secure compensation for him. I needed to understand more about how the bombings feed the sectarian divisions between Baghdad's Shia and Sunni communities. So we headed to the place many ordinary people get their political leadership, Friday prayers. The Baratta Mosque is one of the oldest, most important Shia sites in Iraq. In 2007, three suicide bombers killed 90 people here in one day. The Imam is a powerful political voice. We don't need to say anything to describe the actions of the fundamentalists, whether they are Baathist or Al-Qaeda criminals. Mentioning their names is enough to remind people of the horrible things they did. This part of Friday prayers is where the Imam talks politics. He's talking about economics, the way people are living, but also about the attacks and who's behind them. He blames Al-Qaeda, but he also has a coded sectarian message, blaming ex-Baathists. They were the people who worked for Saddam, and they were mostly Sunni. If Iraq's Shias are feeling targeted and unsafe, the Sunnis feel wrongly blamed and persecuted. Most want nothing to do with Al-Qaeda, but feel cut out of power by the Shia-led government. I went to the mansion of one of the most powerful Sunni tribal leaders, Sheikh Ali al-Hattam. Five years ago, he ordered his men to stop fighting the Americans and turn on Al-Qaeda. The awakening, as it was called, helped pave the way for American withdrawal. But now he feels betrayed, arguing Iraq's Sunnis have been marginalized. Go to the ministries and see if there's job equality. It's all based on party and religious loyalties. The Sheikh believes the Shia government is using the current bombing campaign as an excuse to increase discrimination against Sunnis. He fears the result will be further terrible sectarian violence. We're heading towards a confrontation that's been imposed on us. It's not our choice. We would prefer to avoid it. Will you be prepared to lead it? We've already started to prepare for it. We are heading towards confrontation. It's only a matter of time. Our last day, and the alarm sounds again. Officers had been called to a suspected car bomb outside a Shia mosque. In the week we were in Baghdad, the bomb squad saved many lives. But across the country, some 30 bombs exploded and more than 100 people were killed. When US troops withdrew in December, Barack Obama claimed Iraq was left stable and democratic. The bomb squad know stability is still elusive. If you enjoyed this program and would like to find out more, do visit the website channel4.com slash unreportedworld for information on the issues and to discover the internationally available Unreported World Programme archive. 
Next week, Jenny Kleeman and director Andrew Lang travel to Afghanistan to find out what it takes to survive in the world's toughest movie industry. Until then, from me, Krishnan Guru Murthy, goodbye. <laughs>